and myself. So, Hello, everyone. How <laughs> <yeah>. are you? <laughs> and uh, so we're talking about how the Bible is authority. So last week, Bible is trustworthy. Today, how the Bible is authority and speaks into our lives. And you guys are in luck because before this service, we were kind of wondering, what do we say? And actually, Eric this morning found this really great article that pretty much just spells out what it means for the Bible to have authority, right? So why don't, we, why don't you just show us what it means? Yeah, yeah, check it's it out. It's like easy. a whole yeah. ad for it. It's, uh, it's a new Bible. It's called the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. So oh, wow. I don't know if you right. remember those Choose Your Own Adventure yeah. books that, you know, they had when, when uh, at least when I was a kid, where you could read and you choose one of these options and then you go to a different thing. And now um, it's just a, it's a pretty great new Bible. That yeah. would make the Bible a lot more exciting, really. Oh. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a exciting. couple of little quotes on their sales thing. It says, boasting over 300 different endings, Ooh. the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible allows readers to guide and change the narrative through all its various twists and turns. Now to shape talking. the Bible's theology to their own tastes, biases, and prejudices. Yeah, now we're pretty, talking, yeah. yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. 300 endings. You can yeah, read yeah, that yeah. thing all year long. Wow. Yeah, one of the little uh, endorsements said, in the past... Bible readers were just reading some boring story about Hebrew men and women that were really difficult to relate to. Now the Bible is finally all about you. Yes. <laughs> it's good, right? That's really, yeah. I feel like, what we've been missing, honestly. You yeah, know? it's already sold 4 million copies, Doug. Wow. Yeah, wow, uh, yeah. it's uh, just, uh, it says they're going to, Zondervan said they'd slowly be phasing out the old boring versions of the oh, Bible good. that yeah, don't good. cater to reader preferences. Good. We should just yeah. put those in the pew, like the rack. <laughs> well, you know, that'd be exciting. <laughs> All right, so, hey, I hope that you've picked up so far that that is actually not true. That is from a pretty funny satire, a Christian satire website called the Babylon Bee. Now, satire, as it is supposed to do, it's supposed to be funny, but it is also supposed to make a point. And the point that it's making there is that this is how many of us look at the Bible, right? That we want the Bible to cater to our preferences, that we want the Bible to do what we want it to do, not what God wants it to do. And so today, as we talk about this whole subject uh, of the Bible as authority in our lives, we have to come at it recognizing just this crucial importance, I think, of this topic. When you have, you know, even a satire uh, website making that point, it means that there's a problem of some sort, right? That we need to come and recognize that if we truly are going to trust this book as the very Word of God, as we talked about last week, we trust it, it is reliable, it is inerrant, it is inspired by God. So if it is then supposed to have that kind of authority in our lives, we, you know, we need to recognize that we have to submit to that authority. I mean, we spend so much time in this book, reading it, teaching from it. It is the way that we hear the voice of God in our lives. So then we got to submit to it. We have to, to do what it says. We need to believe it. And there's a quote by, by Mahatma Gandhi, not a Christian, speaking about Christians. Even have to remind some people Gandhi was not a Christian. Okay, so it goes here though. Listen, you Christians, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it's nothing more than a piece of literature. And we treat it as something just to be studied, something to look at, something to gain more knowledge about when it is supposed to speak authoritatively into every aspect of our lives. 
And uh, so, kind of like we did last week, if, if you got your bulletins, I encourage you to, to grab them, pull them out. They're going to look a little different this week, uh, and I'll explain why in a reason, mostly because of how long they are. But, um, but as you consider the, this question of what is your level of surrender to the authority of the Bible— and you might still be in that camp of, I don't trust the Bible. You might still be uh, in the camp of, I trust it, but I don't give it authority in my life. Or I don't know why. Uh, sorry, I think that some of that's up. Look at your, look at your bulletins, actually, for the, the content there, okay? Where it says, I trust the Bible and I give it authority in my life. Or I trust the Bible, but I don't understand how to give it authority in my life. And so we want to... We want to answer some of the why and some of the how as we consider giving authority to the Bible in our lives. Absolutely. We want to first and foremost ask, why does the Bible have authority in our life? What does it mean for it to have authority? To begin, let's just all get on the same page and talk about what does it mean for something to have authority at all in your life. And for a lot of us, we don't necessarily think about things having authority in our life or even what the word authority means. But if something has authority in your life, it means that it has power in your life. It has power based on what it is to affect the way that you live your life. And for a lot of us, we are misunderstanding and misusing authority in a great way. If you look in your bulletin, you can follow along with us. Um, uh, Eric messed me up. It's okay. (laughs) Um, So we misunderstand and we misuse authority. How do we do that? Well, it happens all of the time. Oftentimes, especially our younger people, and I work specifically with high school students, a lot of times our younger people, and even us today, we give away authority to people who have no right to have authority in our life. We give away authority, we give away power to speak into our life to people like celebrities, or even like magazines, or a, a certain football team, or basketball, whatever it is. We are giving authority to these things that really don't have the type of power which is needed to correctly speak into our life. You will oftentimes see a young person give a a celebrity authority to tell them what they should look like, how they should act, what they should talk like. And the the celebrity or whoever that person is has no power to be doing that. But we've given it away because we're misunderstanding authority, right? Sometimes authority is just taken, right? It's taken in our lives. Some ruling power, whether it's a boss or whether it's whatever it is, is taking your, taking authority, right? They are putting themselves in a position of power in your life and you're not asking for it, right? Maybe they're making you do something, putting you in a position where you have no option but to be affected by them. And they are misusing their authority, right? Or even we... We give, we, uh, people have earned authority in our life, but they've earned it in an odd way, right? A lot, oftentimes this happens again with young people and with us too as well when, in dating relationships, right? When it comes to who you're dating or the boy or girl you're seeing, they're earning this authority in your life, but based off of how you interact with them. You make me really happy, happy in life? Perfect. You've earned my authority. You've earned authority in my life to speak into it based off of what I've given you. So we're really missing in a lot of ways. Is this making sense? Authority is given out incorrectly. It's taken and in, in, out of fear, used inappropriately. And oftentimes it's earned when it should not be earned in our lives. So what are we to do? 
We are to recenter ourselves around what it means for something to have authority in our life based on the way that we are approaching the world, okay? Here's what we do. We need to then look at the Bible based on how we view authority, which is kind of messed up sometimes. We need to approach the Bible with a different lens, a different mind frame, a different worldview, you could even say. When we approach the Bible, we have to approach the Bible not with ourselves at the center of the universe, not with our whole experience of the world as the center. Help me make sense of my everyday interactions, Bible. We need to approach the Bible with a worldview that's asking the right questions. And in doing so, the Bible will reveal the most powerful thing in the world. It will reveal God. Let me show you how. Oftentimes, we don't ask the right questions in life. We are concerned with our minute little details of our everyday life. But for centuries, people asked really big questions. And I challenge you to ask really big questions. The questions I challenge you to ask are the big, and if you know me, I love this, philosophical questions in the world, right? I challenge you to look at the world and ask, why is all this stuff here? Why are we here? Why is there an earth? Why are there like trees and squirrels? Where on earth did those come from? Or maybe you might ask, why am I here? Or even a deeper question, what sort of thing am I? Am I different than my dog? (laughs) Am I different than the trees? What sort of thing am I? Did somebody or something create all of this? And at at this point, in these questions, you ask yourself, "Is is there a God? Is there a God who created this? And if there is a God, am I like God? How am I like God? Do you see, these are the big questions that for centuries, for thousands of years, people wrestled with, wrestled with, and argued over, and needed to know. If you go back in time long enough, in the ancient Near East, this was what people talked about all of the time. Where did we come from? What sort of thing are we? What is happening in our life? How do we make sense of this? And then at that point, the Bible, you'll see, if you follow with me in your outline, the Bible starts to speak greatly to the big questions we have in life. If you see in your outline and if you take your Bible, open it up to Genesis 1. The very beginning. Sometimes it's hard to find (laughs) because there's so many preliminary things in there. But you open your Bible up, right? And at this point, understanding authority, that authority is having the power to speak into your life. And if you approach life with the correct questions, who am I? Why am I here? Why are all these things here? Did somebody create this? The Bible begins to reveal someone, God, who has more authority than anyone else. Why? Because he speaks directly to these gigantic earth-shattering questions that we have. Imagine not knowing what this is, when I mean of the earth, what the earth is, what we are, where we came from, how did we all get here? These are the questions you're wrestling with, you're arguing with. And then definitively, written down, the Lord, the Creator speaks, and He says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what you know from that is in the beginning, God existed and he created. The question that's answered is, is there a God out there? Yes, he existed before we did. How did we all get here? He created us. Based on those two facts, authority has been assigned. Authority has been given, has been earned. We must give authority to God. Why? Because he existed before we did. He created everything. 
He is the only one who has the power. And then you might ask, well, okay, what does this God say? Does he speak to us? What is it? How does he interact with us? Go to Exodus. Go to Exodus 20. And as the Israelites are learning more and more about God, about how God is going to interact with them, about how they're going to be intertwined together, does God truly have authority in our life? Does the Bible reveal someone who has authority? In Exodus 20, it says this, Then God spoke. What? God, the creator of all, spoke. All these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. And the definitive word from the Lord is, I've cared for you. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt. I've brought you out of slavery. Now, have no other gods before me. In these two passages, does the Bible have authority? Yes. Why? Because it reveals the one who has authority. It reveals God who created all, who loves us, brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and now gives them a command. Have no other gods before me. You have one who has authority, God. And even going further, the part that is going to crash into our lives in a radical way, go all the way, all the way over to Matthew. Go to Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28, you have something miraculous happen. Something miraculous that's going to change the world forever. Are you there? Matthew 28. Are you tracking with what's going on here? You're seeing that the Bible is revealing God, and God is being revealed to have all authority. And if God has all authority in our lives and in the world, then what is his plan for us? Asking the deep philosophical questions of why are we here? How is God going to interact with us? What should we be doing with the Bible? How does it, or why does it have authority in our life? because it's revealing God. And now at this point, you get to Jesus, the Messiah, who lived a life here, who taught us, who taught us many things. And one of his main purposes of being here was to offer himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, for the gigantic problem that we see in the big questions of earth of how, are, how can God and I interact? How can we be together? How is it possible that I can be evil and have done wrong in my life and a perfect God be with me? Jesus comes to answer that question. And when Jesus dies for us and takes on the sins of the world, and as he rises from the dead, he has been given something. And in Matthew 28, go to verse 18. It says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, This is it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As God says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus says, now all authority has been given to me, and I am with you. Really, it doesn't matter what comes in between those two sentences. All authority has been given to me, and I am with you. Because whatever is said in between, we can do. What does God call us to do? To make disciples of all people. So, in these three passages, we realize that Jesus has been given authority. And then if you go, lastly, to Titus, 
That's a more difficult one to find. Titus 2 in the New Testament. I'll just read it for us. Titus 2, and we'll start about halfway through 13. It says this, Our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people with his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. As we realize, we have now the authority to preach the good news, to preach the power of Jesus. And what Jesus is calling us to is transformation, right? The Bible has authority in that it reveals God. And God has given authority to Christ, to Jesus, to the Messiah. And what the Messiah calls us to do is to be transformed in our nature. Now, a lot of times we approach the Bible, and I'm going to use this as an object lesson, okay? Can you all see it? Yes, I have black paint here. And what we do is a lot of times we say, oh, the Bible has a lot, there's lots of authority in there. Excellent. What I'm going to do is take some of that authority and I'm just going to spread it around on things, right? Maybe we'll take, for example, we'll take uh, the idea of, of, you know, sexual sin and uh, addiction and all of those things. Those are very bad, right? The Bible has lots to say about that. What we'll do is, you know, we'll just kind of paint authority all over that, right? Oh, yes, I got a lot of things to say about those ones. Check out this authority. I'm right there. And then the Bible continues on and we think, okay. Well, the Bible says a lot about wealth. A lot about wealth. Well, here's how we handle wealth. I'll apply that. Uh, I'll apply a little bit over here, right? There's a lot about wealth in the Bible, but you know what? I think, okay, we'll apply it right there. That's good, you know? And then as you move on, you think, okay, well, the Bible also says a lot about spreading the love of God to our neighbors. Um, well, our neighbors are kind of weird. So we'll just, there we go. There we go. That's really all we need right there. You know, that's good. But maybe the other neighbor over here, he's a real good guy. We'll just spread that love over there. And it's all good, right? And you get to a point where you're kind of applying the authority of the Bible based on what it says. You're just applying it here, a little bit there, a little bit over there. And I think we've missed it. We've missed how the Bible speaks of authority. The Bible never tells us to just apply authority when we want to on situations that we think are fitting. What the Bible calls us to is to realize who has authority. Who has it? God. Jesus has been given authority. What has Jesus called us to? To transformation. It's not like paint. It's like dye. And I have dye here. What God has called us to is to change our very nature. And as you see the dye spread down the wood... What's happening is it's not, it's not just merely being applied on top. What's happening is it's staining. And it's going into that. And it's changing the very nature of the thing. So that it's not just on top of this piece of wood, but what's happening is the stain is going through and changing and transforming so that it's a different thing entirely. And that is the way God has called us authoritatively to act. And let me recap. As the Bible reveals the amazing story of who God is, his character, his nature, we see that Jesus has called us to something greater, to be transformed, not just to take pieces of the Bible and apply them to things where we want to, but to allow Jesus to transform us completely. And that is why the Bible has to have authority in your life. Because what it's calling you to, based on who it's talking about, it has to affect you. Why? Because Jesus is calling you to be transformed. 
Now, the question arises, naturally, how on earth does this happen? Because the Bible speaks a lot of different things. How does it have authority in our life? So, yeah, you might argue that the Bible has authority. You might agree that the Bible has authority, but you, you open it up to read it, you know, and you read some First Kings 8 or something, and you're reading some list, and you're just sitting there thinking, this is hard. I don't get it. How is this supposed to have authority in my life? So I want to express a little bit of how, and that the Bible, that, well, that authority must be understood through the different approaches that each genre of the Bible takes as it speaks to us through these different ways. And so these different genres of the scripture, these types of literature, okay, we have to look into them and see how God speaks. Because all of the Bible has authority, but it expresses that authority in different ways, in different genres of the scripture. And so this is where I say, really grab your outlines, okay? And I I encourage you, if you you have not gotten one as you leave to grab an outline because what we hope for this to be is actually a tool for you to keep in your Bible. It's got this little trifold. You could keep this in the back because what, we'll, what we have here are all of these different genres of the scripture, as you'll see, OT, Old Testament historical narrative, the law, Psalms, Proverbs, prophets, gospels, epistles, the book of Revelation, like all these different types of literature that we have in the Bible. And what this can be a tool for you to do is that, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read an epistle. I'm going to read the book of Ephesians, let's say. And, okay, well, let me then prepare myself. And you could read in here some of that. And, and so I want to take us through some of this to understand because part of even as we talked about last week, we talked about inerrancy, that the scriptures are inerrant, okay, without error, inspired by God. But we also have to recognize that we are interpreters. We are not inerrant, okay? The scriptures are inerrant. We are not. And so we have to do our best work to dig into them, to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, to be reading them properly, to be studying them properly. So as the Bible speaks about those being Bereans, that we dig into the scriptures in that way. So I encourage you to do that and to do that as well as you can. Um, but uh, so as we see through the scriptures here, and let's go through a couple of these. I'm not going to just, trust me, I'm not going to read through all these that would be a little bit of a nightmare. But what we want to do is recognize a couple of them and, and highlight some of the differences. So the first one that you see even in, in your notes, it says Old Testament historical narrative. And it gives you even examples. Okay, what books are you talking about, Eric? You might think these are weird terms. And so you see what we're talking about. Genesis, most of Exodus, most of Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And it continues on to express what are those historical narrative uh, books of the Bible. But what these begin to do and what we have to see here is that something the Bible is doing is it's speaking as a whole. Often we look at one individual verse, but we don't consider how the Bible is speaking even as one large message or one large story. And we call that even within our children's ministries and the curriculum that, that we use and develop is it's called the big God story. Okay, the big God story. The Bible is the big God story. Now, our, so our kids are getting this even when some of us aren't getting it yet. Okay, now as as we want to look at the Bible as the as the one story, the story of God, the story of Jesus. You have all sorts of different human characters that might seem like the main character. However, God is the main character. 
God is the hero of the whole story. It's the whole story of God. And so something like this, it's hard to see it uh, super well, but it starts at the beginning and, and kids keep getting a sense. And I hope that we get a sense like, okay, everything is doing something here. Everything in the scriptures are pointing to Jesus and telling this greater story, creation, fall, flood, into the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. They're the people of God, the, pe- the chosen people of Israel, who then have to go into slavery in Egypt for 400 years. But then God sends a deliverer, Moses, who frees them and they go out and they're in the desert and they're given the law. And then they finally make it into the promised land. And then you have the period of the judges where they're sinning and they cry out to God and then God restores them. You know, they're sinning again and they get, they get destroyed and then they cry out to God. You've got that cycle and then they want a human king and you've got the period of the kings into the period of the exile when they're a divided kingdom that then, then is exiled away from Israel. But then they return. Then there's another 400 years of silence. And finally then out of that silence comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we see his life. We see his death. We see his resurrection. We see the way then that he gives that great commission after he says, all authority has been given to me. And then the, the Holy Spirit is given and the disciples are the early church and they are going out and changing the world for Jesus. And they write letters to one another to, to teach one another about how do we live as the church. And then we see how the end comes and we see in the book of Revelation how we can overcome and how we see hope for the future and all things. That's like in a glimpse, the big God story. But what we try to show you, we try to show kids is you see that second to last one says you and me, that we are part of that story. And so as we read the scriptures, the narratives, these Old Testament narratives are what kicks that off for us is to get a sense of, okay, what's going on in this big story of God? And and that's how we have to recognize and read scripture and take it as that story of Jesus. But uh, you see within that, within your notes, so let's say you're reading one of those narratives. You can read here, and and this comes from Walt Russell, who wrote a book called Playing with Fire, who's a, a professor at Talbot School of Theology. And he says, the primary contribution of these narratives is to inform and shape our worldview about the eternal plan that God is working out universally in human history. And also to underscore our continuity with the children of Israel as the people of God. And then it says, therefore ask, ask God, ask yourself, what does this passage tell us about God, the hero, his plan, or the role that his people should be playing in his plan? And how do these stories point to Jesus and the need for a redeemer? Okay, that's the primary contribution of those types of writings. Then there's a secondary contribution that we often place as the primary and this is, where we, this is why we want to look at this stuff. The secondary contribution is to give us positive and negative models of old covenant believers making choices to trust God. Therefore ask, what positive or negative model might this passage be setting before us to teach us about trusting God in the midst of his plan? And so sometimes we'll just read those stories and we just teach them individually. And that's okay, but that's not their primary contribution to the story of God. And so then, you know, we, we keep going and we keep looking through and you've got the law, you have the Psalms. The Psalms are, are doing something different than the narratives. The Psalms are to model what a God-centered view of life is like through expressions of worship and prayer and the way believers may express their deepest needs, pains, and concern to God in passionate prayer and worship. 
Okay, so that's very different, right, than these stories. And we, we, we need to approach them and receive authority from them in a different sort of way. We don't want to then go to a story like King Saul going to the medium of Endor, this the Bible calls the witch of Endor, and who wants to, you know, raise up Samuel from the dead and, you know, and hear from Samuel. We don't go to that passage as a way, like a, an expression of seeking God's will in worship and prayer. You know, like that's what we have to understand. And some of those are silly and obvious, but we, we need to approach each segment of Scripture differently, as well as recognizing uh, even into the Psalms, um, or sorry, even into where we get into the epistles as we go through all of these. And the epistles, these letters, the epistles don't, uh, you know, the epistles have prayers in them, but they're kind of perfect, right? These prayers in the epistles are very perfect. And I think the Psalms are showing us prayers that aren't quite as tidy. And they're also showing us prayers that are angry or frustrated with God. And so it's showing us how to express our emotions to God differently. But then, you know, we approach the epistles in this way where it says to teach, exhort, and model our identity as the church and how we're to live it in the community of God's people by making godly choices. Does anyone surf? I know it's probably maybe not, but when I go surfing, there's people who take it way too seriously and they get mad at you if you're in the wrong spot or something like that. And it is hard for me. They, I, I just went surfing yesterday with my dad and somebody kind of got in my way and I was in their way and he said, hey man, get a shorter board. If you don't surf, this is like the weirdest thing in the world to say. But it was hard for me to be like, I wanted to be so mad and so angry and so mean, but I just said, sorry, man. Uh, totally. You're right. I'll get out of your way. Because based on what God has done for me and has taught me, I have to respond on that authority. Another one, a more serious one, is uh, my wife and I went through a period of, of infertility. We actually, you know, still are in in that, right? We can't biologically on our own have children. And it was, it was a really dark time for my wife and I. And we had to, based on that, 
uh, well, we felt a lot of things, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and it was difficult for us to then turn and be loving to people, to be loving to each other. Uh, But based on the authority of the scripture, we knew that God had called us to something greater, called us to love. I'm not saying that like buries your feelings or anything like that, but what we had to do is say, God calls us to trust him and to love him, and that will be our guiding light through the whole thing. So for me, that's in my life how the Bible has authority. Yeah, and so that that plays out in those sorts of ways. It's played out, I know, for me in my life. Uh, First of all, I think early in my life, I was very much this rule follower kid. And I think that's still ingrained in me in some way. And so where I want to see the Bible as a list of rules, not as that big story of Jesus, that big story of God. And it's easier for me to just see it. Okay, let me just give me the next rule and just let me do it. And it's easy. You know, let me follow that way instead of seeing that larger picture. It also has been for me with, uh, you know, obeying the, the things the Bible says that I don't like, right? Basically that, uh, that I know even there was a time in my life kind of when I was developing theologically earlier in life too, where I just really didn't, I mean, I guess I still don't really want to believe in hell, you know, like, but I then didn't want to believe in hell a lot. But I, I remember just really wanting to buy into this this uh, concept called annihilationism, where we just cease to exist, you know, where someone that is far from God would just cease to exist. And I wanted to believe that. And I was thinking that I, I was like, oh man, I think I can believe this. This is how I can sort of get around it, you know? And then as I dug into it more, and I, I remember even specifically looking at Revelation 2010 and 2015, and these two verses we don't need to get into now, but that speak to an ongoing sense of torment, both for Satan and his, de- you know, and his demons and the beast, but also for those whose names aren't written in the book of life. And I had to come to this point of saying, okay, Lord, I don't want this, you know, and I don't get it. I don't understand your plan, but this is, so I submit to that authority, you know? And, and I think, too, with, with other issues that might even be more in our day, whether that's, you know, thinking of people like with sex before marriage or even homosexuality or those sorts of issues, right, where a lot of times it's, that's the whole thing. It's like, well, you know, in high school, I didn't want to believe in, you know, the Bible said not to have sex before marriage, but I submitted to the authority of the scriptures. And so that was where I said, okay, Lord, that's not what I want, but this is your plan. And then, you know, what's beautiful is that I've been able to see in a life of trusting Jesus and trusting his word and his plan that his plan was what was best for me. His plan was good. And so we submit to the authority of the scripture even the things that we don't want to. And we recognize that the Bible is also the final authority. I believe that we can hear the voice of God in, in, in many ways. We can hear God speaking to us through as we pray and listening and even as we consult with a, someone that's a, an elder mentor in our lives. God can speak in those moments. I feel like, you know, even as we go into nature, sometimes we can just have a sense of the Lord speaking to us and all those really just wonderful times with God. But the Bible is the final authority. We don't take something else if it speaks uh, against Scripture or we don't hold something else higher than Scripture. Scripture is the final authority in our lives. It holds all the cards. And so we only go to the Scripture as that final authority. And then we have to recognize if this is all true, all of these things we've said about the Bible being that authority in our lives, then it has to change us. It has to change how we react to things. It has to change what we believe. It has to affect how we live our lives and how we see God and his whole plan for all things. And we see Jesus in all of that. 
but then the Bible has to have more authority than the Quran or the Book of Mormon or some other book that's trying to express that it would have authority. But that might be easy for us. But then we also have to say, well, the Bible has more authority than the U.S. Constitution. If our country goes against God in some way, the Bible is our ultimate authority in that. The Bible has more authority than the affirmation of your friends. It has more authority than the opinions of people that you like. It has more authority than our Calvary Church bylaws. It has more authority than what the media tells us and all these different messages that we get. The Bible is the authority for how we see the world, how we know who God is, how we know how we relate to God, and how we then live in this world. The Bible speaks into all of that as that voice of God in our lives. But guess what? We can't know what the Bible says unless we read it, okay? We have to read it. You have to read the Bible to know what it says. The only way for us to have that authority in our lives is if we read it. So we've got to dig into God's Word and submit to it as that authority. And so I challenge us, let's return if we've drifted, return to the word of God as that authority in our lives. And let's stop listening to all these other voices and say, let's come together. And that's even as we talked about this next series, Common Ground. You know, we're going to talk about these divisive issues in our world. But we say, grounded in the word of God, we can have that sense of common ground with one another. And even if we have some differences in the way we approach these things, that we say, hey, We're grounded and we have common ground in Jesus, that Jesus is that ultimate authority over all things. So let me pray for us as we transition. We transition to a time of worship, also into a time of giving, that we have a chance now to to give our tithes and offerings in maybe another area that for some of us is not the most fun one to submit to the authority of God's word. So we ask him to help us in that as we do it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you and we say, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much that you've given us all of these words that are your voice. It's such a gift. I pray that we'd see it as that. And I pray that we would dig into it and read it and submit to it. Lord, change our hearts from self-centered to you-centered, God. Lord, may you be the authority in our lives. And Lord, I pray even now as we give, that it would just continue this heart of submission that we would have to you. This heart of worshiping you through the things that are maybe really easy for us to hold on to as ours, Lord. And so we say, no, Lord, it is yours, and we give it to you as an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.